We're going to be picking back up in Nehemiah chapter 7. Uh, we left off last week kind of in the middle of verse 7, and so we'll pick up there again. Um, but as always, just as an overview, remember that we are studying verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah, with our studying being called Big Calling, Bigger God. And that's exactly what we're looking at, the fact that Nehemiah had this big calling that was really impossible for man, but he had a bigger God that made it possible for him and so he used wisdom and courage in order to make that happen. Remember that in the grand scheme of the book, we have kind of crossed the high point, if you will, of our understanding of Nehemiah. Typically, when we think of Nehemiah, we think about the building of the wall. Uh, and so we have crossed that threshold now. So in the last chapter, the wall is completed. And so now in chapter 7, we are turning our attention to a different type of rebuilding. And that is the rebuilding of the people, reestablishing the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that they could, again, become a unified nation uh, around the calling that God had given to them. So we've started out this chapter, and remember kind of what we're in the middle of really is a recounting of an assessment that Nehemiah found from Ezra. Uh, so to put all those pictures together, so Nehemiah decides, uh, again, that he wants to help reestablish the people, and so the best thing that they need to do there is to figure out who is a part of this national identity and who is not. And so he decides the easiest thing to do is to go back to the most recent record that they have. And so they go digging through the libraries, and they find this copy of the census, if you will, that was taken by Ezra of the people that were going to leave uh, in the first wave coming back to Jerusalem. And so this is also back found in Ezra chapter 2. And so we'll talk a lot of several times uh, throughout the rest of this chapter about the parallels, the similarities, and the discrepancies between those two lists. Uh, and so he's going through this list. And so now he is recounting uh, this list again for his current people. And the list starts out out in verse 7, and so since we didn't quite finish with that last week, let's go ahead and pick back up there. It says, they came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Raamiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Balshan, Mishpareth, Bigvai, Nahum, and Benahi. So remember we talked about Zerubbabel as the one that leads off this list, um, and we kind of spent part of last session uh, really kind of recounting his experience and coming back and laying the foundation of the temple, kind of being halted in that, and then finally rebuilding the temple. We also want to note that obviously we see a couple of common names in here are common to us, Nehemiah and Mordecai. Um, but remember we talked a little bit, or at least I think we got there. I can't remember if we did or not, but either way. Um, so this is not our Nehemiah, um, and this is also not Esther's Mordecai. Um, these were pretty common names uh, back during biblical times, and so um, these aren't those two people, just people that shared their same names. Um, it is interesting here uh, that there are 12 names listed here. And so we can kind of take this as maybe being um, the high marks of the leaders that came back with that first wave. There's probably 12 names here because 12 is very often used in ancient Near East literature, especially among Israelites, um, because of the 12 tribes of Judah. And so it kind of shows completeness. Um, this is this total number. And so these would have been the heads of the leaders uh, that came back from that. So now we're going to move in uh, the next verse, the end of that verse really, uh, and moving into verse 8, and we're going to get into um, the categories, if you will. And so from here on out, we're going to see how uh, they kind of cast the net wide and then slowly funnel down into specific functions 
and jobs, if you will, uh, among these people. So continuing on, it says, The number of men of the people of Israel, the sons of Perosh, were 2,172. The sons of Sephatiah were 372. The sons of Arah were 652. The sons of Parath-Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, were 2,818. The sons of Elam were 1,254. The sons of Zatu were 845. The sons of Zakai were 760. The sons of Benui were 648. The sons of Babai were 628. The sons of Asgad were 2,322. The sons of Adoniakam were 667. The sons of Bigvai were 2,067. The sons of Adin were 655. The sons of Atur, namely of Hezekiah, were 98. The sons of Hashem were 328. The sons of Bezai were 324. The sons of Halaf were 112, and the sons of Gibeon were 95. So now we move from this kind of first um, umbrella verse, right, that names out these 12 key leaders. So these first 12 names were basically... um, Zerubbabel's right-hand men, if you will. So these were the key leaders among this movement to come back. And so now we've moved from that big kind of umbrella um, down to beginning to get into specifics. And so the first specifics that we get here is this genealogy that's divided up. Um, And we're going to see that it's divided up into three kind of sections. And the first section uh, is organized by descendants or by their family lines. And so everything that we read here uh, numbered in these names that we just read out. So these are family names. And so we're talking about the families of these people that came back. Um, And these would be understood not necessarily to be maybe the... the surname of the people that came back, but would have been the part of the tribe that they were a part of. So we see uh, in um, the rest of the Old Testament, as well as in other extra-biblical writings, um, that the nation of Israel, yes, it was organized among those 12 tribes, but when you're getting into the peak of their time, when you're getting into millions and millions of people, that level of organization was not adequate, and so they would begin to organize then into smaller families, so thousands and ten thousands and so those each groups had names and so we would expect that these probably wouldn't necessarily be the names of the people that came back but their line through the tribes of Israel. So basically their um, their group within their tribe. So though it may seem to be a little tedious to us to go through all of this, remember the importance of these verses and this concept in the eyes of Israel. They were a people who had a covenant promise of God delivered to them through family lines. Remember the promises up to this point throughout the Old Testament have been given to individual men. So we haven't quite turned into yet the New Testament where the gospel gates are basically thrown open uh, and all of us become adoptive sons and daughters of God. Uh, Even though in the Old Testament everyone had access to the grace, they did not all have access to the promises that were delivered specifically through these family lines. Um, And so if you go all the way back 
to Abraham uh, and the promises that were made to him. The promise was made to his descendants. And so this genealogy was a critical part of their heritage, not just as we might look at, you know, like heritage.com or some of those websites where we can kind of trace back our family lines. Uh, this was a part of not only their family, but their faith, their um, cultural identity. So many things were knit into this. So this is a really, really big deal to them. Um, and so this validation that these people that were coming back were connected by kinship was a huge, huge deal to make sure that they had a, a thread to trace back to pre-exilic nation of Israel to kind of show their right to be a part of this reestablishing of God's nation, God's city, God's temple. So even though they were small in number, these that came back, what we're talking about here, this, this genealogy that they're given, helps them to remember that even though they had no political independence, they were neither rootless nor anonymous. They were a part of God's promised people. And so that was a really big deal to them. Now it's important to realize, and again we're going to talk about this several times, and we hit on it a little bit last week, is these discrepancies. So there are some differences here in the numbers from Ezra 2 uh, that we think is the same list. But almost all of them um, can be explained by tally mark errors. So we talked a little bit about this last week, this concept of scribes um, transposing information, right? But we can also um, think about the fact that, again, this is before computers and calculators and anything. And so when you're trying to count numbers this large, this many thousands upon thousands of people, you can imagine that trying to keep a detailed list of that was quite the effort. And so many of the discrepancies that we see between this and Ezra 2, most of the time can be explained by tally marks. So as best we can tell, uh, the way that they would count um, people, especially large numbers, um, is they would use tick marks. Everybody ever done those? Like you're counting to five, one, two, three, four, and then the fifth one you cross it through, and one, two, three, four, five. So they did very similar, um, except the difference was they typically did theirs in tens, and then once they got a ten, they would make a mark, uh, or once they got ten tens, they would make a mark for a hundred. Once they got ten hundreds, they would make a mark for a thousand. And so they're making all these tick marks as they're counting people. And so almost all of the discrepancies that we see here can be explained by the fact that one tick mark was possibly put in the wrong place place. For example, if we look at Asgad there, he's listed as having 2,322 descendants, but in Ezra, he's only listed as having 1,122 descendants. And so that's typically, that's basically explained by the fact that some scribe just put a tick mark in the wrong column. And so all of a sudden we jump from 2,300 to 1,200. And there's several discrepancies like that throughout this list. We're not going to stop and deal with each one of them. Uh, but again, almost all of them um, can be explained by just that missing of a tally mark. And again, remember that even though the Ezra 2 list is the foundation for this, these aren't exactly the same list, because remember these were two sections, even though they're two book names, Ezra and Nehemiah, they were all compiled by the same author, Ezra. He wrote both of these books. And so if he'd wanted them to match perfectly, he would have just copied his own writing, right? And so the fact that he's sharing these with us shows us that at some point these genealogies were probably copied again for temple records because the original would have been left back in Susa. And so we see again just this opportunity um, for this human error to enter in. But again, in no place does it change the overall meaning of the text here. So now we're going to move from um, the first category, which is all of these family lines, into the next category, um, starting in verse 26, uh, which is moving into towns now. So follow again with me in verse 26. 
So the men of Bethlehem and Nephoaphath were 188. The men of Anatoth were 128. The men of Beth Asmameth were 42. The men of Kiriath Jearim, which if you've been paying attention in um, our Samuel study, that maybe stick out a little bit to you. Um, Sephariah and Beroth were 742. The men of Ramah and Geba were 621. The men of Mikmas were 122. The men of Bethel and Ai were 123. The men of Nebo were 52. The sons of the other Elam were 1,254. The sons of Harim were 320. The sons of Jericho were 345. The sons of Lod, Habed, and Anno were 721. And the sons of Shanae were 3,930. And so now we move from this section of this last grouping, which was genealogies, family lines. Now this next grouping that is given to us is all cities. So even though it's using this term sons of, um, that is not like I'm having a son. So we're not in family lines anymore. That means the people of these cities. And several of these cities are names that you probably recognize. Again, Kiriath Yara and Bethlehem. Um, Bethel. Uh, all of these are ones that um, we would recognize. Um, and so we've moved now um, down a step, if you will. Um, and this step down from the previous section um, shows this deep desire for the people to make some type of connection back to pre-exilic Israel. Um, so again, remember we had this whole culture established. They were conquered. They were dispersed. They had this um, exile and now they've come back. And so everybody is trying to in some form or fashion make a connection to their life before the exile. So I, I was a part of the nation before we were exiled. I deserve to be a part of it now. And so we're going to kind of see in this descending um, importance here um, how everybody's still trying to do that. So even if you can't name your family line, at least you could name the city that you were a part of. Well, I can't remember what my tribe or my sub-tribe was, but I do remember that we lived in X, Y, and Z. Um, and so everybody's making that attempt to do that. And so that's why we've moved from um, the large group of families now to the smaller group of cities. Now there is a second possibility that has been suggested by some um, scholars. We'll notice that all of these cities um, that are listed here are in Benjamin or Judah. And so the fact that they are all in Benjamin, except for the two that are located just south of Jerusalem, one of those being Bethlehem, um, we notice that all of these um, are a part of the area that is currently um, the Yehud Sastrap. So if you remember, we've talked about this a couple of times, Sastraps uh, is the name um, that was given to these conquered areas. So they're almost like um, sub-states, if you will, uh, of all of these Babylon and Persia a sastrap is what they call kind of these local regions, and Yehud um, is what this one was, Judah, um, so the repronunciation of Judah. And so all of these cities are located within Judah, um, except if we're going to look at that then, if all of these were the cities, then there's one city that is conspicuously absent from this list, Jerusalem, the very center of what we're talking about, right? Uh, and so there are several scholars that have suggested that what we may be looking at here in these first two lists is the first one may be a list of the families that were actually living inside the city. So those would be the primary people that we were looking at. And now we've moved kind of the lens out a little bit. And so now we're just looking at who lived in all of the other cities around. Um, either way, again, 
The important thing is they are all here trying to connect their heritage back to the nation before the exile. So now we're going to move from families and cities. Now we're going to start kind of a job hunt, if you will, uh, through these next verses. So as we pick up in verse 39, um, we're looking at the priest. And so now the priests are going to be numbered. So the priest, the son of Jedeai, namely the house of Jeshua, were 973. The sons of Amir were 1,052. The sons of uh, Pashur were 1,247. The sons of Harim were 1,017. So now the third section in the list is organized by the temple staff and personnel. So again, whether you think about those first two sections as families and then cities are the families in Jerusalem and then the greater cities, either way you look at those first two, this third section is going to kind of reset. And so now we're going to begin to look at temple personnel um, and kind of descending importance of their jobs. And so the, the top of that list, obviously, is going to be the priest. So this list um, through verse 60, so if you kind of glance ahead all the way down through verse 60, we're going to pick up with those in a second, um, is subdivided into all of these groups of positions um, in hierarchy. Now, there are two curious things about this first list here in verse 39 through 42. Um, one, because of a low number, and then one because of a high number. So the low number curiosity here is that if we look in first. Chronicles 24, King David organized 24 priestly families. Um, so if you go back and look, so again, King David is kind of establishing worship. So when, you know, obviously when we came out of um, slavery in Egypt, God established for them the tabernacle. And so remember the tabernacle was kind of the portable temple, right? Um, and so a lot of worship was established by God at that moment on Mount Sinai. But then when King David organized and his son built the temple, then a lot of it was even more formalized. And because it was a much larger structure um, serving a larger number of people, you can think about the difference between a small local church and a mega church, if you will, uh, then the, all the roles had to be expanded. And so King David David did that, but it's curious that in chapter 24 of Chronicles, David organized 24 families that were to oversee this priesthood, and yet here only four make it back to resettle Judah. So from those 24 original families, only four have survived the exile to come back. The second interesting thing here is the high number. Um, so if we add all these up, that's 4,289 priests that are listed here as coming back to make up um, this group. What's interesting, though, is when you add that to the total number that we're going to look at, that is a full tenth of everybody that is going to return from exile. So a tenth of the people were priests. So obviously that can be explained in a couple of ways. You know, maybe that shouldn't surprise us that those that were closest to God, closest to God's word, and therefore most familiar with his provision and his promises, would be the ones most likely to return back. Remember, this was no, um, this was no walk in the park, if you will. Remember, the, these people coming back. So they had been uprooted, they had been exiled 
They had spent these 70 years, or 70 years being the smallest, some of them up to 140 years, uh, in these different areas. They had reestablished their lives through several generations. Uh, they had been made comfortable, because remember, they weren't taken away as prisoners. They were taken away and put into different roles. Think about Daniel, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't taken to prison. They were taken back and given um, exonerated roles in these areas. So these people had become established. And so for them to uproot their lives and go back... Uh, was a huge effort. And remember the fact that it was about a four-month arduous journey from Susa back to Jerusalem. Um, and so these people really had to be committed to what God was calling them to do. And so here, you know, one day the, the king's cupbearer rises up and says, hey, listen, I'm, I'm taking a group back to Jerusalem. We're going to go back and rebuild the walls. Those that will be willing to do that, to follow that kind of leadership, had to really be committed. So maybe it shouldn't surprise us that a full tenth of them um, are the priest themselves. So let's continue in verse 43. So now we're going to move from the priest to the Levites. So the Levites, the sons of Jeshua, namely of Cadmiel, the sons of Hodaveah, were 72. The singers, the sons of Asaph, were 148. The gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Atur, the sons of Talman, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatayat, the sons of Shobai, were 138. So now the second subdivision of this group are the Levites. Remember, the Levites were the tribe of Judah who were set aside to serve the temple and the Lord. The priestly line listed above um, was a specific group within the Levites, um, but the Levites um, were a group of people that that entire tribe had been set aside in order to serve the Lord and serve the temple. Um, so this is where sometimes um, we can kind of get um, confused about the tribes of Israel. Were there 12? Were there 13? How many tribes were there? And so we kind of get this 12, 13, 12 thing, and it's basically because of the Levites. So we remember that the tribes um, go all the way back to Israel and his sons, okay? And so this was before um, they went into captivity in Egypt, right? Uh, and so he had 12 sons. So therefore, we would expect 12 tribes. However... Joseph wanted his inheritance basically split between his two sons. And so that's why we get the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. And so often you'll hear them called the half-tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh. So if you've ever heard that, that's why. Because those weren't direct um, sons of Israel. They were grandsons. These were Joseph's sons. And so basically they had to take half of his inheritance. So all of a sudden we don't have a tribe of Joseph. We have a tri half-tribe of Ephraim and a half-tribe of Manasseh. So now we've added two grandsons for one son, so that should be 13, right? Well, except for the fact that now the Levites kind of back up one, because the Levites weren't given a land inheritance among the promised land. The other 12 tribes were, they were given an inheritance for serving the Lord. And so God was going to be their inheritance. And so rather than having a, a nation, a region, if you will, um, a state, if you want to think about it like that, within the nation of Israel, they were given cities. And so the Levites had cities, but those cities were spread out among all of the other tribes so that they would be accessible um, to lead in worship, which is what they were supposed to do. And so here now we have this tribe um, of Levites. Levites um, listed here within these verses. 
So again, it is a little surprising here uh, that we have so many from just this single line of Aaron in the priest, and yet so few here in other Levites. The priests make up about 90% of the total Levites. So remember, the, Le- the priest had to be a part of the tribe of Levi, but not every Levite was a priest. And so if you add those two numbers, um, this total number of Levites, these priests, again, make up not only about 90%, uh, they make up about 90% of that overall number. So it's just very interesting, again, why uh, this group would um, be so small compared to the number of priests. And again, Again, there could be lots of reasons for that, and um, we've already talked about a little bit about one possible one. So now within this group of Levites, this group is again subdivided by their key jobs. Um, so obviously, uh, the first one that we talked about in the last one is the priest, but then the second one here are the singers. Now these were men tasked with writing and le- leading the musical part of worship in the temple. Um, so we saw here this name Asaph that was mentioned. So this is the same Asaph, if you've ever been reading through the Psalms, and you'll notice at the top of many of the Psalms, um, there it's, we'll say, a Psalm of Asaph. We were most commonly thinking about David writing the Psalms, but he didn't write all of the Psalms. Um, he wrote a bulk of them, but he didn't write all of them. This Asaph that's listed here, um, he was one of the one credited with many of the Psalms. And so these song leaders here, um, they, they would have been the music directors, if you will, uh, of early worship. I find it interesting that these positions are listed and appear to be in order of importance, and therefore the singers are listed directly under the priest. So the rest of the list appears to be listed that way in kind of order of importance. And so I think it speaks very highly of uh, what worship is and how important it should be to us that listed directly under the priest who were um, issued with the guardian of God's word and the sacrificial system. The next group that is listed here is the worship leader. I think it should be a reminder to us that singing is not just something that we watch in the service. It's not a spectator sport. Uh, It is something that God has called us to do um, and enabled us with leaders to do. Um, It's a calling and something that is vital to our faith, just as vital um, as reading God's word, as hearing the proclamation of his word in a service. So is the singing of his word. Um, And so I think it's important for us to remember that. The second group that is listed here is the gatekeepers. Now, these were Levites that served as guards and ushers uh, within the temple. Among their chief job was to protect the ritual purity of the temple and the temple stores by filtering who 